friends, welcome back to another very special episode of the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my friend, co-host, and reincarnated serial killer, Alex Dandino. Woo! All right, guys, we are just balls deep. The October Horror Mega Marathon. I couldn't think of a more artsy, uh, classy way to do it. It's late. I just kind of went for it. Uh, we're all the way in to the knees. There you go. Knee, knee deep? Sure, why not? In the, the Horror Mega Marathon, guys. The descent into the abyss of the horror genre. 31 days, 31 pods. Guys, we're right in the midst of the Exorcist series. Uh, thank you guys for all your support. We know it's a lot of episodes. We love that you guys do this journey with us every year. So we want to start with a thank you for that. Guys, we also want to put out the old uh, Alchemist signal. We're on Patreon. That's right. Patreon.com slash Film Alchemist Pod. Guys, it's the best way to help the show. It's the best way to make sure that this show is exactly what you want and deserve. For as little as a dollar a month, you guys can get in, join our community, meet our other awesome patrons. It's a great and as way, you man. go up, it's a great Great place. Great, As you guys place. go up the Highlander tiered ranking systems, you actually get to select the movies that you specifically want to hear. We got another handful in this week, guys. Awesome stuff's going to be coming only for the patrons. So, again, guys, that's patreon.com slash Pod. I assure you every dollar helps. We know that you work hard for your dollars. We want to do the same. So come join us over there. Help us grow this thing. And we're working hard uh, to make that a great place for you so for those of you who help us thank you for those of you who are about to thank you as well Preach. make sure you go to youtube and subscribe to our channel film alchemist to see video versions of most of our podcasts there make sure you leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you find us help us fight back against the uh, algorithmic pazuzus that are trying to overtake us and suppress us from the masses so they don't see our light and truth uh, also, guys, uh, the email is filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. We're on the socials like all of you guys as well. Uh, get a hold of us. We love to hear from you. All right. All right, guys, we're here. We survived uh, the plague of grasshoppers flying on the wings Jesus of grass-eating bugs. And here we are, Exorcist 3. I fucking adore exorcist 3 first off i think it really captures the spirit of what was great about the exorcist 1 i think if this had been the exorcist 2 it would have been widely appreciated far more than it is i feel like it got a lot of splash over stank from the heretic and again following up the exorcist which kind of became the benchmark uh for many years and maybe still is is really a thankless task to do and i think this movie um, does just about as well for a sequel as you could expect. Alex, I know this was your first time seeing it, and I gleaned from our text exchanges that mayhaps you think I need to be locked in a padded hospital cell? No. I mean, everybody's got the thing they like. Like, I'm not going to bash that, but I do not. That was a very politique way of smacking me down. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I would not hold the Exorcist 3 in high regard, to be honest with you. But uh, it has a lot of things to like and a lot of merit to it that actually works really well for what the Exorcist originally accomplished. Where the Exorcist, where the heretic, like, I don't know, roughly jettisons like I don't know, eighty percent of, of the original <laughs> Exorcist concept and conceit. Yeah, they took some of the skin from the Exorcist yeah. and just made like a it, prog rock. Yeah, it's album. basically like a like, like, like imagine like a graph versus host and just like the graph slowly being rejected. That's the heretic. This is like they did a regraft and it's been accepted and it's just you know, it's still growing. I, I, but again, like. William Peter Blatty at the wheel, like those kinds of things help a lot. And, you know, like it, it is a very traditional story. I think that's the thing that's much more complicated for me. That is the thing that threw me a little bit is for being a movie that follows suit from the original Exorcist. It is very traditional in its storytelling. I guess the original Exorcist is too, but there's, yeah. there's just something about it that feels a little, I think it's because of the procedural quality 
to it. Maybe that's what throws me. But again, it, it's not that again is not a dig. There's nothing that I there's nothing about this that the Exorcist three that is just like unspeakably terrible, like the heretic. Like there's again the hair we talked about <laughs> like yesterday we talked like the heretic is good. What's good about the heretic is like there's like four ideas that would have been awesome to be a lot of ideas. It's a plague of ideas in there. Plague of ideas. No movie was made. Well, I I think one of the the qualities I appreciate about this film, right, is they really I think the pairing it down really works well. Right. Because one of the one of the things about The Exorcist that got lost in the uh, prog rock stage production of The Exorcist that was part. (laughs) Yes. And the King Crimson version of The Exorcist that was the flashy lights you know what i mean once we but what was lost was there is this there's there should always be existential dread at the very core of the exorcist right the idea of the exorcist is we feel so dramatically alone what happens when we're confronted with the fact that we're not alone and how that actually makes the feeling of loneliness worse when we know that we were never alone, period, right? Mm-hmm. And I think this movie, because they really try that a lot in the uh, next two prequels, right, uh, that we're going to discuss tomorrow. Boy, do they. They really get into that kind of concept. And I think this movie might be, obviously, the the first one is the best, right? A man of faith who's lost his way, right? This one actually, the, the idea of a detective, a homicide detective, played by the great... Uh, George, George C. Scott, C. Scott. Right? Yep. Yeah, and he is just fucking phenomenal in this role, right? This this just world-weary, he just can't fucking take it anymore, right? And just watching him go through this film and just suffer and suffer right. and have to talk about the absolute horrors that he sees in his daily job right? and how that would ha- put you in this crisis of faith moment. I thought that was a brilliant way. So not only are you getting yeah. this exorcist movie, right? They really went back to what we needed, which was we need mm-hmm. the fucking scares. We need the actual demonic possessions. We need all that kind of stuff, right? The heretic shoot a lot of that to its own detriment. So this one gives us all the horror, but anchoring it in this detective procedural, right? That feels familiar yeah. to us. I think lets them really slip in a lot of... I mean, this movie is fucking dark. Yeah, there's a lot of very... I, it's interesting because, I, I, again, I, I text you usually throughout the movies because this is just how I take notes is I just, like, bounce things off because, like, writing them down... <laughs> is just, writing them down, I, like, physically I write them down sometimes, but, like, a lot of the times it's just text messages with you. And this was, like, my big thing is, like, I, I mean, I think George C. Scott's one of the great actors of a generation. He's yeah. wonderful. It's very because he's playing Detective Kinderman, who like Lee J. Cobb died the year after the movie came out, so like he was never going to be able to play Kinderman again. So to see someone fill those shoes in the way that George C. Scott did is very—I don't know—it was weird because, and I tried to rectify that the entire time because like it's not a bad performance. Like I think that's a really important distinction. Is like whereas Richard Burton and the Heretic was doing. Yeah, like his best not to sweat, but still sweating everywhere. And also just... What happened if you just turned your garden hose onto luggage? And all, that was Richard Burton. And also, and yeah, like he's just... He's also just Richard Burton. Like Richard Burton has like... Richard Burton has one thing he does really well, and that's what he does. He's a fine actor. He's a fine I don't, actor. I don't blame him for what happened. No, no, I wouldn't blame him for the heretic. I would blame him just... He does one thing, and that's what you hire him to do. You know what actually is stunning about his performance in The Heretic is how unbefuddled he seems every Yeah, scene. he seems unshocked by literally everything. Like, that he really just committed and makes us believe that anything happening. That yeah. happens. Anyways, the, enough about The Heretic. Right, sorry. Like, again, like, the movie could be called This Guy on a Tuesday, and I would be like, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> but George C. Scott's performance as Kinderman, I think because, like, Lee J. Cobb, so Kinderman is a much larger role in the book. But in the movie, he's pretty minor. He's an important, like, he's an important uh, plot tool, but he's fairly minor in the in the movie. Lee J. Cobb is just a very different kind of actor. So, like, the tonality and the concept of how Kinderman is presented is really interesting to me in this. Because George C. Scott is just a very different actor. And, yeah, like, he does have these... It's not a crisis of faith. I, faith, I think that's what's so fascinating to me about The Exorcist 3 is... 
the movie's not really about this like crisis of faith. It's about mm. crisis of just the crisis of knowledge almost. It's a fascinating thing. Like I, but George C. Scott's interpretation of Kinderman is so much more verbose, I think, than I was than I was expecting, and so much like there was a lot of like for me very overstated stuff. But again, you can't fault him because that's George C. Scott. Like he's just that kind of actor. So he he brings George C. Scott to Kinderman. You're gonna get a different kind of version. You're not doing someone doing a Lee J. Cobb impression. And I think that yeah. was was kind of throwing me. But again, once you settle into it, but it is a fascinating performance. Yeah, and I would I would imagine ninety eight percent of people who watch this movie won't know that that's the same character. No, no, I so, don't think so either. He has kind of carte blanche to go in and you know make it his own. But what I what I just found right is that I think what you said is a great point, right? Is that this isn't a crisis of faith movie like the first one. This is a I don't care if God is real or not. Right. 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 Because if God's not real, then. Okay, I'm still down here, you know, sweeping up corpses. And if God is real, fuck him. Right? Like right, that's totally. That's the tone of this film, right? Is yeah. that there is a there is almost a nihilism at the core of this film. And again, mm-hmm. in the movies we'll talk about tomorrow, I think there is too much to the detriment of it. It really works in this one, right? And you yeah. get this this these great mo- So not only is he nihilistic, but he brings this absolute amazing human depth to Kinderman, right? Mhm. There are so many moments with him and the priest that are just absolutely heartwarming. Just watching this odd couple kind of, you know, go on their journey of friendship and and watching the fact that he holds that so dear. Right. And he has a family that he holds dear. Right. Mm-hmm. And he puts up with his mother-in-law putting a fish in his bathtub. The carp thing was carp thing's one of those. Yeah, it's it's strange. And that's also the but point in the works. film when you go. Are we going to do that close of close-ups the whole movie? Like, are you just going to make me, like, stare down his hairy ear hole this entire... Okay, yeah, we're going to do extreme close-ups on every old in the whole movie. That is something that is a knock against this movie. But it, it works to great effect, right? And, and those those elements, right? Because in the first one, Lee J. Cobb is essentially just playing, like, this cocksure, like, I'm going to get answers, right? Yeah. And this one, he's a man who's just like... I. I don't care about answers anymore. I'll do the job, but like, I know the answer. People suck. Right. Yeah. And so there is this weird thing, too, about pairing this serial killer with uh, Karis's death. Yeah. We'll get to it in a minute, but the scene of the movie to me, right? And I was like, this is why Exorcist 3 understands what's great about The Exorcist. And it's that POV shot, that long fucking POV of him entering the hospital mm-hmm. uh, when the father's murdered, right? And drained of his blood. And it's. Again, it has this amazing seven kind of imagery throughout. I was the just going to say, he reminds me actually yeah. a lot of the way Morgan Freeman plays Somerset. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's the same thing, right? It's a man who's seen too much confronting, you know, the realities of God. Yeah, exactly. And But in that moment, right, that long POV of people watching this man, it tells you how they all know how much this guy meant to him, right? And how mm-hmm. deep this friendship was. And watching that, and then when they flip it, right, and we see from, I guess, where the head of the priest would have been, right, that shot of him just at the edge of the bed, just really a broken man. And we see him several times just get emotional and cry. And I think that's the different element that an actor of George C. Scott's caliber brought. And I was like, this movie understands the exorcist, right? It's existential dread and nihilism. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think that to me is when you're like, yes, they fucking know exactly what they're going for. I feel like I would say even from the opening shot, like the opening, like walk through Georgetown, walk through the area is the perfect. It sets the perfect existential tone because you're back. Like, I think that's a really big part mm-hmm. of like what makes like the setting. And again, we'll talk about this tomorrow, too. But like the setting for the exorcist is so important, like for it to be. And we talked about this when we watched the original one, which is like the setting for it to be just in this like no name street in Georgetown or wherever, that is what makes the exorcist terrifying. So like bringing it back, not stuck in a traffic jam. Yeah. Believe it. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's the last one. I swear to God, we're sorry. They just keep popping up though. Like it's, but like that bringing it back to 
this quiet street it's it's the tone like again it's it's a guy who you know what else though it's a great point yeah i don't know if you know exactly what they're going for but when the demon wind goes through the church right and Mm -hmm. jesus opens his eyes and all that supernatural shit i thought there was something interesting in the fact that the demon wind is taking us on a pov of karis falling down the stairs again oh i thought it was really it really roots you in this like this PTSD feeling, right, mm-hmm. of not being able to escape the darkness that no one's really moved on in the 15 years. No. I thought that was really cool, even though I don't understand what was happening in that moment. But it's a very unmotivated moment. But to me, well, yeah, I mean, like, there's this, like, there's that, like, revert, that, like, that revert, like, you, like, flip the reel in reverse. Yeah. And so, like, oh! this, the smoke clears and shit. And you're like, I get it. It's supposed to be creepy. But you're right, though. This POV of Karis flipping down the stairs. is it's meant yeah like it's meant to remind you like remember how violent that first movie ended welcome back yeah like it's also i was wondering too as we went on if that was a dream sequence because they do play with that a little bit if that was because he fork he has a psychic vision almost forecasting that the father would die Mm -hmm. and it's in the church and it you know shows the confessional where the other priest dies yeah if that's supposed to be George C. Scott kind of reliving it, then I'm like, he doesn't – I mean, I guess he remembers Karis, but why would that be tied to it? So I was like, maybe that's what it, – so it's not as unmotivated as I thought cause it was kind of annoying, I thought, at the start. But by the end of the movie, I really appreciated that they took the time to root us to that trauma. But yeah, neither here nor there. I but again, I, I think that that is what – this movie so perfectly understands, right? How many times do we see nurses, police officers sitting in and just taking in in horror these things beyond their control, right? The, the aging wing, I thought, was actually a really beautifully added element, too. Watching the uh, the ravages of time and old age on these poor old bastards mm-hmm. who become fucking, you know, sock puppets yeah. for the devil and how unfair that is, right? So... You watch this constant, everything on the screen is reminding us of how brutal existence is and how world-weary everyone gets. I, I, I think that's the stuff that really makes this sing. And then when we get, when this movie takes its big horror movie shots, I don't think it misses. It no. almost always worked for me. I don't think so every either. Time. I actually, that was one of the things I wrote down. It was like, there's never a time where I'm seeing like a big horror piece that doesn't just fucking nail it to the wall. Literally in one case. Yeah. Um, but that, um, actually my favorite is that one, that one jump scare where he cuts the nurse's head off. That's like, one. Uh, of my- I mean, that is one of the most amazing jump scares that, that the anatomy of that whole scene. Yeah should be taught in a film school, I right? Hate that's jump scares. that's pacing I, 101. <laughs> I really don't like jump scares. Like for me they yeah. they don't do a lot and like all it does is just like momentarily like again, like all it does is momentarily make me like get hiccups. That was legitimately one of the first ones I've ever seen in a movie where I was like, "Oh, fuck me." Like that yeah. was scary as shit. Well, it's one of jump scares almost make me angry. Yeah. Where, I think so too. When you see and again, we'll get into this tomorrow. There is an overuse of insanely loud, obnoxious sounds or this and that. Like, oh, it's a cat. Right? And right. it's it just shows me that the filmmakers have no trust in their ability to insert an emotion into my body. Mm-hmm. And that fucking pisses me off. And I know that the argument is, oh, well, it's supposed to be like a roller coaster ride or a fun house. Right. And I was like, that's fine. But to me, when you your movie's so based on jump scares, right, when I go back. It's like going back through the haunted house when the lights are all on. And I'm yeah. like, I know that the cat's coming and I know it's a fake scare and it doesn't fucking work. And the movie feels hollowed out. Yep. And that one, cause that one is so brilliant. Cause it starts in just, I mean the fucking big balls of this shot, right? Just putting it on sticks, like, you know, 40 feet I away. I love it. You're just letting it run. Like, you're just, yeah. like it literally is like Blatty walked away. He's like, I'm going to get a coffee. Yeah. Like that was it. <laughs> Sorry, I've got my uh, snow delivery. No, I'm just kidding. It was the 80s. No, it's actually the 90s. It was 90s I, I don't know. I am not so saying shot, that I have any. shot in 89. <laughs> I just assumed everyone in the 80s was on drugs. I don't have any info. Don't be mad at me. But well, tomorrow but we'll talk cool, about though. the person who's definitely on drugs during the 80s. <laughs> we got to stop doing the ghost of Christmas past and present. I know. Sorry. This uh, is. No. It's the hardest thing about this. It's actually the strangest thing I was talking. I, I was talking with my wife about this today, like after watching 
all the ones we watched uh, that I watched. I was like, it's so strange because like it is so hard to talk about. Like you can talk about them compartmentalized, but it's so hard not to acknowledge the other ones because like the first the one, not just being yeah. notwithstanding being one of the greatest horror movies ever made, mm-hmm. but like it's so hard not to like extrapolate pieces from all of them and realize like they do function oddly in this way that the story works, but it's still just like, you're like, how, how are we here with it? Yeah. You know? Well, this is the one, this is probably the horror franchise most in my mind that is the most reactionary to the critical response. And so every film feels like an apology letter for the one before it, weirdly enough. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like from, you know, that's exactly on. how I put it. What, like, and so, but <laughs> well, it's interesting because like the heretics, yeah. not really an apology letter for the first one. It's more just like, how cool was that? Watch this. And it's like, well, Ooh. no, that's the one where they're like, they already had done film school and they're like, oh, no, we're film PhDs. And it's like, no one, no one wants to watch dissertations, dummy. <laughs> I get back to the scares. But no, but so getting back to the jump scare scene, right? Yeah. What I had forgotten about that scene is that it has the false cut. Right. Where we cut into the room the first time and the patient wakes up. And I guess you would say that's kind of a jump scare, too. Where he's like, why are you not waking me up? Right. But it's like it's natural sound. It's not like a a violin. Right. So this guy wakes up, closes the door. They go back to that fucking tripod for what feels like five minutes. What's probably only like a minute and a half. And I was like, the fucking balls on this dude. And then you see a cop come. You're like, "Okay, she's safe. Oh, right as she goes for the door, the cop leaves. And it's just this unmotivated, we don't know who the killer is. We've kind of seen the giant corpse scissors, but we have nothing. This is the first, like, all the way in your face. Not a police recounting of the whore, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of that, like, we found a body. Yeah. And then a 30-second description of the absolute worst things you can do to a body. When you see that moment, and then it has that zoom, too, so it's such an obnoxious move to add to this insanely still... Shot. Oh man, just it's, it's incredible. What a great scene! It's an what incredible a shot. Stunner of a scene. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. I, it's interesting. Yeah, there is like these really great like pieces of filmmaking technique, but then there's also like like because again, it is like this straight up detective story. And what I love about they give you those mo- they give you like one of my all time favorite beats in detective movies is the stare the stare down. Like you always have like the stare down between our guy and a would be aggressor or something like that and the first time we get it is with patient x with kenderman like this is this is really like to me like this is like this is the reason george this is the reason george c scott is in this movie like no other actor could have done this with jason miller but like then when the switch happens you're just like fuck dude it's what is crazy about that too is how He's in the room, but he's not the he's not the no. the heavy hitter in that scene. Not at all. It's so he's taking crazy. it in, which you know, acting is reacting, as they say. Yeah, and that that's the second case in my argument too is why this should be an absolute beloved and cherished sequel. Everything that happens in that padded room is perfect. It's magic, absolutely. And it's it's Brad Dorf coming out, and it was so funny because. I was like, wow, this is almost like a reverse child's play. Like, you could sneak this in as a bridge in child's play. And then at the end, he even says, it's child's play. And I was like, oh, so that's a perfect pairing with our child's play series. We true, did, true. Right? Except in this one, it's Charles Lee Ray getting pink socked into a dead priest who's got to like, he's got to become like a brain cell oh, farmer. Poor, like Charles, that part. Po- poor Charles Lee Ray. This guy. I just, just picture. I picture the Gemini killer just kind of Jimmy Cartering around in this head. Like, well, it's it's my peanut farm now. I gotta grow things and do, do, do. he's like renailing together like that, neuron synapses and shit. That was actually the th- that explanation, the second time they have their little confrontation. The second confrontation they have together is like that might be one of my favorite explanations. Like So being a demon inside someone is sort of like being a brain surgeon. Wow. Yeah, that is complicated and terrible and sounds like a huge waste of time if you're a demon like well also you're like this feels like so much so so much extra work like i think the devil thought was like jesus christ possessing people sucks 
Yeah, I'm assuming that just like the cast of Mad Men all ended up in hell, and this is one of their plans, right? Like, you need a way better marketing thing than <laughs> a priest did it. A homeless priest. <laughs> he done went crazy after he fell down the stairs and he moited. And now no one's going to church. And then he smacks the secretary's ass and Satan's like, these guys are for real. <laughs> but it just, it it's such a laborious, long game that he's playing. Oh, it, yeah. It's honestly, a 15-year like, odyssey, man. It's fine. Because getting Jason Miller back and seeing him in that role was fucking excellent. Yeah. And honestly, I, I remember the shock of the first time when they switched to Brad Dourif. And I was like, wait, what the fuck is that? And that's the, uh, you know, the inner spirit. But. Again, I think this scene captures one of the scariest fucking this movie. Again, I get keep getting back to it. Right. Is not only is it just so. So understanding what makes the extras great, but it, it because they do it, they're able to force so much darkness down your gullet. And one of the things that is really hard to accept in this film. Is that Father Karras is burning in hell. Yeah. So Father Karras at the end of the first film, right, regains his faith or he tries to. Says, take me, demon, and jumps out the window to save this little girl, right? And he squeezes his friend's hand. It's a lovely, poetic moment. Half a second after that, he's burning in hell. And so what we're sitting there forced to ask is, because he says, Marin is in here, and everyone I murder, he has to watch, right? Mm -hmm. He watches as I pump this priest's blood out, right? Like, work him like a fucking, you know, old-timey butter churn to get his blood out in these vials. <laughs> Right. He like really goes above and beyond in his, yeah. you know, dead body making. And Father Karras has to watch all that yeah. in the apps. And that that's one of the things that is so fucking scary in this movie is one that Father Karras is burning in hell. Right. That's quite an admission for this. Yeah. film. But not only that, the fact that the Gemini killer is constantly telling us how Satan's hooking him up. He's like, hey, Satan <laughs> appreciates my hard work and support. So he's given me a bone. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's strange in the series where God has given no one a bone ever. <laughs> like, what the fuck? I mean, these are these are startling, big, scary ideas that they just kind of cram into this amazing monologuing yeah. of Brad Dorf. Yeah, Brad. I was trying to figure out, like, why is he crying through most of it, by the way? Like, he's that's probably Karis on the inside. Well, that's, that's OK. So that was like my that was my question is. Mm -hmm. Are the tears coming from, scary. yeah, like it's got to be coming from Karis or somewhere else because yeah. that to me is one of these like great little visual moments too. I was like, oh my God, dude, like it was like one Brad Dorf's like incredible. Like granted, even if they like squeezed water in his eyes, like just pretend you have tears. Like I don't care. Like it's just an awesome. Bit. I never care where tears come from. Just give me the tears. If I got tears and he, this is a guy who's literally describing murdering people uh, and there's tears in his eyes. Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ, dude. Because. It's a brutal scene when you think about that. Yeah. It's an absolutely shocking thing. I mean, there's just, it's no. We, at the end, we actually see Father Karras on a cross crucified being mauled by demons. Yeah. It's... The hero of the first film is burning in hell. We are fighting for and asked to believe in the grace of a God who lets that man burn in hell. That's a big fucking i because again i always come back to this religion is the scariest thing that exists in humankind because it becomes a catch-all right you can forgive anything if you blindly believe in this fucking thing that we all at a core genetic level know cannot be true right right that oh i just happened to be born in the you know chad kroger from nickelback jesus country right or oh i happen to be uh over here in hindu uh, country right right it's it's impossible on a on a base brain level we all know that this is horse shit right yeah and a lot of us need it to help us get through our day fine right my own wife is very religious so i'm not taking shots at the religious but it is horse shit and we all know it it's when you use that horse shit to that you're trying to use to get through your day we all have it right whether it's tarot horoscopes whatever right. whatever gets you through the day big max whatever we all have horse shit the problem is when you try to take your horseshit to such a level that you do evil things to other people, right? Yeah. Religion is fucking scary. Or as they say, right, when he lays out, you know, why are there murders and child cancer? Why did I find a 12-year-old with his fucking head chopped off? And why did the guy tell me that he was given a drug so he had to watch the man mutilating him, unable to scream, right? 
how does that exist in a world with your God? And the priest just goes, oh, it all works out in the end. And it's so frustrating. Yeah. And this this really brings that home. And so to me, if done right, there's nothing more scary than examining these concepts of religion. Right. Well, I mean, and I think that's the futility of for me, the exorcist is always about like the futility of belief, like or the hope, the hope that comes with that futility in a way like it's that. It's the conceit of blind faith. Maybe because I was raised Catholic, that's just always been a thing. I've had that conversation with my parents. Like my mother was, my mother was raised as a Quaker and she converted to Catholicism. And I was like, why bother? I I was like, it was <laughs> it was a year after I got confirmed as a Catholic, and I was she was like, I want to do this. I'm like, why? Like all of it is, and I to remember, be closer with you. And I was like, yeah. And well, that was the thing. Is like I was 16 years old, so like I was like at the height of like true shittiness as a teenager. I was like. Pfft. This is bullshit. Religion sucks. Like, who gives I was a shit Catholic about before it was trendy, mom. <laughs> and literally, she was just like, I want to take communion with you guys. It has nothing else other than that. I have like, she's like, other than that, I like praying. It makes yeah. me feel good. And I'm like, all right. Like, I totally get that. Though. I do too. I understand. And honestly, and you, like, you're right. even Everyone's me got their who thing. hates religion and I think it's horseshit, on my absolute like darkest moments, you do go, dude, hook me up this time. And I swear to God, every time I'll come back. I have all these. We like, all do it. We all do it. Everybody has the presets. I have stuff from my life that I still do, like yeah. that has absolutely, like, again, I don't go to church regularly and any of that kind of stuff. Well, no, like we got, we got brought a box of uh, old books, right? And I'm going through it and they're like, you know, keep what you want, get rid of what you don't. And there's a children's Bible in it, right? Like a fancy swanky children's Bible. Cause you know, you got to start indoctrinating early before their brain cells are fully grown. <laughs> Before their little neural Jimmy Carters are fucking hammering the houses out. But it was all fucking bent and messed up. I still haven't thrown it away. Wow. I still haven't thrown it away because I was like, uh, I've been watching a lot of these Exorcist don't movies. Throw away, <laughs> I mean, you don't throw away a Yeah, I was like, maybe I'll just put it on a shelf somewhere. But, like, there is this. Oh, fuck. I mean, it's just a, it's, it's a weird. Well, imagine, okay, so let's, I want to nail in on this, though, because I mm -hmm. think it is the scariest moment in the entire franchise. Is Father Karras burning in hell just because he lost his faith, because he technically killed himself, or is there a possibility that there is no Father Karras involved in this at all? I would actually posit a fourth option. Okay. And this would be in line with... This would be in line with probably what I think a lot of the time the exorcist is trying to tell us. I don't I think in the exorcist they're trying to tell us that actually heaven does not exist. That hell is definitely a place. Hell, perdition, places where bad things go, places where bad things wait and feed and hunger for more. I think in a lot of ways the exorcist series particularly tells us that heaven is this construct that we've all that humans have built. And I actually think the movie reinforces this with that um, the dream that George that Kinderman has with Patrick Ewing in it, which again is just like, wow, fucking Fabio and Fabio Patrick and Ewing. Patrick Ewing. I'm just like Samuel L. What a fucking <laughs> movie this is! Like it was like the most like it was horrible. Just literally just like okay, it was Patrick Ewing great? But like I think a lot of it has to do with positing that hell might exist like things that we don't want to find us can find us heaven or what would be considered like what is like Marin's version of catholicism so to speak mm -hmm. like exorcism and those kinds of things is much more about finding the humanity and finding the ability right. to overcome that evil in yourself than it has to do with any sort of religious power that anything has over us I think that to me is right. always that to me is actually much more yeah cohesive to understanding the exorcist than um heaven and hell and just the general like yeah. basic catholic constructs of the of the idea. It is the greatest empty spot, the hollow core of the exorcist franchise is that God is never there. No, that's right? exactly. And, and I I always have believed, right? I I believe in a religious kind of concept, right? Where heaven and hell are within every man, right? Sure. And so I think there 
But it, it also gets back to this concept, right, where Satan was the greatest, brightest angel, right, Lucifer. Mm-hmm. You're like, all right, well, God made him that way because God needed a perfect fucking foil, right? It's like that they, they have that lost book of the Bible, right, the Testament of Judas, mm-hmm. where in that one, Judas is actually one of the greatest heroes in the Bible. He didn't just betray Jesus for the 30 coins. He betrayed Jesus because Jesus had to be sacrificed, right? Right. And it had to be someone uh, of his closest people to bring him in, right? I saw a whole special on it once, right? And I was like, oh, what a cool kind of relensing of. So Judas takes the absolute weight of knowing he'll be this reviled name for all time because his fucking faith and is so powerful. Mm-hmm. It's a really interesting way to think of that story, right? And so it gets back to this idea, though, that whatever the devil is doing, God – made that that's god doing it right he's as you know same way they think like god wrote the bible through these old fuckers hands right everything satan does is through god's hand god is you know puppeting him right Right. you know just right up that little horny ass and moving him all (laughs) over the place right that's how this works yeah right and uh you know so the whole concept of this in general there is a it is one of the hardest things to suffer if you're religious, like I was for a long time, you're like, it's impossible to escape that element of it, right? Yes. And especially in The Exorcist, one of the things that is really – it jumps out of you when you watch exorcism movies. The hardest part of an exorcism movie is why do these creatures of such great power not just start neck-snapping everyone who's trying to exorcise them, right? And there is a stupidness of men in dresses fucking splashing water on them, you know, and that works. I've always thought the idea is cool that the demons are giving them false hopes and the exorcism actually does nothing. You know what I mean? And so they're just there lingering and drawing this, oh, they think they're feeling the moment of God. Yeah. And they're not, right? It's this placebo effect. I've always thought that was a cool, scary idea. I think that a lot of this, I mean, I don't disagree. I also think that that's a fallacy that occurs because of, simply because of, the lack of faith we have a lot of the time in religion in general. Like again, there's no shortage of terrible things that Catholicism has brought to the world, <laughs> you know? And I speak just as a person who was raised Catholic, like good not and great. Bads, good and bad. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, we get to drink wine when we're young, but also a lot of terrible <laughs> shit came from that. So you know, cards on the table. Yeah. Uh, we got mystic river and no, <laughs> Mystic River not, in what, doubt. What, what is um, Mystic River? The uh, what's the one where? No, it's not, sorry, yeah, it's not Mystic River. What's the one with the fucking altar boy? I can't fucking remember. I mean, my thought, my immediate thought is doubt. That's always the one I go to. Yeah, woof, woof. yeah, some great cinema from the Catholic. <laughs> but to me, the construct of like the church, like being God's conduit on earth, is always a really weird thing. Like to me, people are supposed to be that, and that's always been a thing that I think that right. that's always you know, and that's in. That's in the Bible too. Like, yeah. Um, but it's dogmatic law. Like God, and that is, but that's like, like the holy water thing, for instance, like yeah. men and frocks dousing demons with holy water does seem like bullshit. Like, yeah, it should be. It's like this catering. <laughs> the like, priest yeah, is yeah. just like, get a bucket and a mop. Psst, psst. Yeah. <laughs> like that should be. Holy wop. To me. <laughs> <laughs> but to me. It ends up being that dogmatic concept of like man's law is God's law, God's law in heaven's man's law. On earth. Here's a great example from the movie, right? The priest that they added, who I have no father, idea who father, he was. Father Morning. Yeah, why he was in this? What it should have been Father name. Alonzo what Morning. That would have been name. cool as fuck. Casting was okay. Yeah, they should have had all of the ninety centers in yeah. this movie. Why was Hakeem Olajuwon not in the movie? That's my question. That's what I mean. Shaq should have been in there. The Admiral, right? We had rules for all. The admiral just plays the old lady who's crawling on the ceiling, <laughs> right? Like, you oh had all God. of the 90 sinners in this. We'll get to that. Holy so, fucking shit, yeah. that scared me. Father Alonzo Mourning, who I have no idea why he's in this movie, why he exists, what his connection is he's to this. He's just a dude. <laughs> How he Sorry. just walks into the, like, yeah, he's just, like, this weird add-on. I'm assuming he's from the book and matters in the book. Is tied to this somehow, because it's all kind of tied together pretty neatly. It's weird to have that extra thing in there, right? It is. He has this little placard on his wall, right? This little, like, stitch thing. What we give to the poor is what we take to heaven. Right. And you're like, that is fucking rich coming from the people that literally have a golden city that's its own government. Like, what the fuck? 
I mean, this, this is what I mean, though. So the laws of the church and man's laws and this and that. Imagine being the Catholic Church and saying all this fucking horse shit, right? Being anti-abortion and contraception, you know, because, eh, we said so. Right. Claiming you're the voice of God and just creating all of this fuckery in the world and knowing the whole time you're absolutely full of shit. I feel like the higher up you are on the religious totem, the more you know you're full of shit and that if there's a hell, you're going to hell. Yeah. Right? Like these Joel Osteen guys were like, yeah, I just need another private jet to minister. So I can, you know, I'm like the 21st century Johnny Appleseed. I'm sprinkling fucking America with faiths. It's, I don't know. There's a lot that is frustrating about religion. I think so But too. to bring it back instead of just ranting, right? What this movie brings down is the very personal experience of religion, right? Mm-hmm. So Father Alonzo Mourning shows up and he's like, I'm going to do battle with the devil. And he probably saves that family's life, right? Well, the grandma who had the four cents to just yank that lady by her ponytail saved her life. Yeah. Uh, grandma, but, so grandma's he, got yeah, power. Yeah. Father Morning, Alonzo Morning walks in and he's just like, what's up? Let's battle. And what does he get for it except for his head hellraiser? And and the bat oh dude, that's some of the best. That was one of my favorite like bits. That scene though, yeah, that's an exorcism that's scene. That's some baby. fucking exorcism shit right there. Yeah, because I love the way that he's like he's at one point you're like, are they calling in Thor to fight this fucker? Like, what is happening? Yeah, and then they'll just cut back to these empty rooms and he's just like, I'm bored of you guys. And I was like, that's it. They got the psychological warfare part of it. It's a it's really, really good. Yeah. That part is really that it's all very, again, that part's really good. I love imagine the, the scene when the gateway to hell opens and that 12 year old is on the cross. I was like, what the fuck? fuck that this shit. movie is horrifying, dude. I'm the, telling you, the this scariest is a fucking part. I'm going to tell you right sequel. now, the scariest part of the movie was, and this was before we've done any of that shit in the ring or anything that fucking grandma crawling on the ceiling and like Ooh. like fast crab walk i was like that i'm not gonna go to bed tonight that was the scariest thing i've ever yeah. seen in a movie like yeah well i mean it's it's again that's God, just another one chills, of those man oh my so god. god god belittles these people and just makes them play things of the devil right these old people who are just you know running the end of their life in a not very dignified manner. Oh, <laughs> yeah. now you're going to crab walk and take a cab to go headlop some families. Jesus Christ. I'm telling that the indictment of God in the exorcist series is constant. This mm. is, I would say the ones tomorrow have the biggest question about God and we'll do that tomorrow. But God is not in the exorcist ever. It is, it is unless, well, no. that's the weird thing though. Cause the exorcist has this problem at the core of it, which is people who don't believe because the world's shitty, who at the end of the movie realize, oh, shit, this is real. And that's a weird problem that it always has. Cause you're like, so if this is real, that means all that shit you said about God really makes him a bad person, like a bad, bad guy. I mean, <laughs> right? the exorcist movies, not tomorrow withstanding, the first three are really, I mean, again, not going to bring up the heretic, but at least one in three <laughs> are about God. Let me get my 18 string bass and strobe lights out. (laughs) The first one and the third one are about man's man grappling with evil, not about God grappling with evil. It's about man's pursuit. Well, they're grappling with is God the evil. I mean, I wouldn't even go. I, I don't know if, if I God go is an omnipotent being. He is the source from which think, all evil flows. I, I think they're grappling with is God's absence the evil. I mean, yeah, that's a great way to say it, right? Why did he make us and then just walk the fuck out? Apparently, he had to go fight xenomorphs in a shitty movie that we'll talk about someday. <laughs> oh God, that's, that's neither here nor there. Also, we got to stop talking about other movies we don't love. Also, I realize this, that when you say you don't like movies on here, the patrons want to select them for us to talk about. Yeah, dude. You just fucking great. Yeah. Well, it's going to happen sh- anyways. I sugared myself. It's fine. That's either here or Bring there. Bring it on. But I love at the end, my one of my actual favorite moments, my actual jo- favorite George C. Scott moment was uh, at the end mm-hmm. when, uh, you know, he's like, don't worry about Julie. We'll get Julie, right? The demon. 
and uh, he's like, oh, have I cured you of your lack of faith? And he's just like, I believe in death, disease, injustice, humanity, torture, anger, hate. And he goes on this long list, right? Pain, cruelty, and he's, I believe in slime and stink and every possible corruption. And then at the end, it's just dot, 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 right? And I believe in you. And that's one of those moments where you're like, who's he saying that to? Saying, who's he saying that to? Oh, he's saying it to Karis. I think he's saying that to God. I think that's his moment like me and Father Alonzo Morning here are getting our asses whipped. Thanks for nothing. He's trying to nag God into getting off his lazy ass and helping. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, I that. think that's I a mean, shot at a, God. A, it's definitely not the craziest thing I've seen, I've heard or seen today. So, yes, that makes sense. I think he's I, just like, like, seriously, I, I thought for a moment in his mind he had started praying to Thor when the I, lightning bolts happened. I like to think he's trying to tell his friend <laughs> buried inside this thing, like, I believe that you are powerful enough to overcome whatever this is, which, again, plays into my theory that this is, not, this is a lot less about God. It's him, God himself and much more of or well, itself. To your point, there is, again, a huge missed opportunity for God when he's like, I'll exercise you. It just blows him away. He's like, oh, Father Karras, way to have the fortitude to assert yourself in your own body again. And he's like, yeah, bam. bam. <laughs> he's like, I'll exercise your bitch ass. <laughs> and then I guess maybe it's good that he's now in a Catholic boneyard. Maybe he won't have to be in hell because the cop wasted him. So in part four, we're definitely going to see uh, George C. Scott just roasting on the spit. I, I don't know what to make of this ending. It's a pretty fucked up and useless ending. Yeah. I think for a movie that was what it was, the honestly, to me, the ending just happened so abruptly. Like, all right, well, that's it. And like, everyone, like, walks away. I'm like, okay. Well, once George C. Scott's like, I believe that you're a sack of shit to God. There's not a lot left to do. Not a whole right? lot left we're to done, do. We're done grappling, and now it's time to fucking lay waste. Now it's just now we're just sitting here in this filth of just religious anarchy. That's it? That's it. That's it. What I mean, what else do you do at that point? I mean, the movie makes its point. I think that this is what... The movie's almost two hours long, and I think this is like the really important thing about The Exorcist 3 is that the movie makes its point very with very like specific finality. Like I, there's a couple of really weird, like nineties movie choices that happen. And it also is lit like a Giallo movie, which is really strange. Um, <laughs> like there's just like blue and green and yellow lights. And I'm just like, that's wildly. I love it, but sure. It's like it worked again for all well, the that's like the weird, uh, statue when he walks out of the priest's office, when he sees the paper float. Yeah. And you're like, why do they have a Joker? pre-statue at the end of that for all the warts that this movie <laughs> up appears to have for me personally none of them don't go without notice but also none of them distract from the overall mission of the movie which is to tell us that like for me it's about man versus it's about man versus his own evil and can you overcome even yeah. if it's exter external evil can you overcome external evil when as the face of a friend yeah, well, to me, I come back to the moment where Brad Dorf is doing his serial killer shit, right? Yeah. And he's talking about the master, right? Which, mm -hmm. again, I think is talking about God, not the devil. And then he starts talking, right? And he talks about how he fucking sliced this lady open and filled her with rosaries and the degradation of that, right? Mm -hmm. And how is this allowed to keep happening again and again? And he goes, life is fun. And the worse you are, the more fucking fun it is. And that's just a paradox of life, man. Yeah. And it's it's this weird, how do you just give so much and shut so much out to try to be pious when everything around you goes to shit? And The Exorcist 1 is just this perfect capturing of a moment when society and life was changing and getting faster and scarier. And it really distilled that for an audience. Right. And I think this one is not completely as succinct in that mission because it's much more nihilistic. You don't get the falsely heroic ending that right. the Exorcist one gives you, you know, where she hugs a priest and she's like, thank you for saving me. You know, I'm off to go 
do fucking 21-12 in San Fran. Uh, this one just says, yeah, there's no point to any of this. And I, we're just going to waste this motherfucker. Again, From now I on, really... we exercise with our pistols. The, the, similar, <laughs> the similarities between this movie and Seven are pretty shocking, in my opinion. Yeah, There's like and, some but, really serious yes. stuff going on. Not and a bad that's what way, I mean. Who better to lose their faith if not a man of the cloth than the person who's supposed to serve and protect us and is constantly wading through the shitty things that people do? It's true. And George C. Scott, honestly, the whole cast in this movie is just fucking awesome. Yeah. But what you really will remember are those moments in the fucking cell, the the amazing scissor scare. Honestly, I just I'm always shocked that this didn't hit bigger and that people didn't like it. I specifically blame the heretic for that. Yeah, this is one of those movies we're expecting. I'm expecting on Twitter or at least a couple of years where we always talk about like is this going to be the one like, hey, is enough time passed where we can talk about how amazing The Exorcist 3 is? Oh, that already happened. Oh, it did? That Great. happened years ago, yeah. Bless Again, him. not for the heretic. No one's willing to die no on that fucking low. Well, we ha- we, I know one person. That's true. Our friend said she liked our, it. I'm sad. Carmelita, we didn't Carmelita. bring her in. We're going to have to do a redux. I'm going to have to watch that movie again. Maybe that'll be something. We'll set up a Zoom uh, throwdown, right? We'll lock the cage on the Thunderdome and have it out. But, uh, all right, guys. I just want to, I just, honestly, I think this is one of the better sequels to one of the better horror movies ever made. I don't uh, disagree. That's it for The Exorcist 3 Legion. I guess the book was called Legion. Exorcist 3. It's not the end of The Exorcist, though. We're going back in time and across the world to battle confusion and demons at its root in uh exorcist the beginning and dominion colon a prequel to the, a exorcist. Prequel to the exorcist yeah sure uh because those movies are what they are we've decided it would be a fun formatting thing to do one pod where we talk about them simultaneously and compare and contrast uh the different takes on this as far as we've had the last chapter of The Exorcist, we did have that short-lived TV show on Fox, which was actually not bad. Uh, but that's it. So 2023, guys. That's right. So that's enough uh, for this installment. We'll see you tomorrow for our Exorcist Beginnings and Dominion. Guys, 31 days, 31 pods, a new show every day. Make sure you have your notification set where you're getting uh, alerted when all the episodes are coming out. It's awesome. we got a lot of great guests coming up, guys, so stay tuned. Make sure you go to patreon.com slash film alchemist pod. It's the best way to help us out. And we appreciate it so much. Every dollar counts. Thank you. Uh, the YouTube is film alchemist. The email is film alchemist pod at gmail.com. Leave us some rating and reviews more than anything. Thank you for your time.